Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. It's already been a very, very powerful Sunday morning, uh, and we're, we're just now beginning. Hey, welcome, wherever you may jo uh, be joining us, if you're online, you're at True Worth, or if you're in the house. Hey, thank you for being here. Uh, and if you've been here for a little while, you know what we're about to do. We've begun every uh, weekend in the series the same way. And if, if you're here for the first time, just know what we're about to do. This is something we've been doing for uh, quite a few weeks now. So without further ado, my name is Chris, and I am a sinner saved by grace. Great job, guys. Great. I, I love that we begin each weekend with that, with that statement. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I hope it's a statement that you're borrowing for yourself in your own journey. This is why I like it. One of the first things that I learned that I'm reminded of with this statement is that it reminds me of who I am. It reminds me that I'm a sinner, that I'm broken, that I'm, I'm in constant need of repair. It's, it's a reminder of my own humility. And if I don't begin my day with a reminder of my own brokenness, then the day's probably not going to go well for me. But the other thing that this statement reminds me of, it reminds me of who God is, that God is a God of grace, of mercy, of forgiveness. It reminds me that every day God is saving me from myself, from my own brokenness. It's a reminder of the posture that I need to begin my day with. It every morning when I wake up and I make that statement, I'm a sinner saved by grace, that first step onto the floor, I'm, I'm picturing stepping into the need of God's grace for me on that day, every day. And so when I say I'm a sinner saved by grace, I say it with a big smile because it reminds me that God's not finished with me yet. So in your Bibles, what I want you to do, open up to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to spend most of our time there today. And we're going to wrestle with this idea of humility. Humility, it's a... It's not a fun word. It's not a word that's revered much in our context. Uh, it's not something that we tend to, re to reward. At times, our, our broken world really seems to be diametrically opposed to this idea of humility. Pride, ambition, these are the things our context tends to reward. But the reward of the world, it's, it's the short game. It's very short-lived. And soon after, quickly after the initial high or the attention or whatever it is, shortly after that wears off, the harsh reality sets in. And that's this in your notes, number one. Pride comes before the fall. Now, as I think about this, as I think about pride and fall, there's a, there's a lot of stories you could, you, could, you could go to, but the one that I go to first takes us to the... It was March 21st, 1994. We remember these guys, right? Ah, Jimmy and Jerry. They could have been the best dynasty in all of football, right? They could have been. These two guys were at the top of their game. Jerry was a brilliant businessman. Jimmy was a creative coach and a heck of a recruiter. And together, they, they put together a team that was unstoppable. They won two Super Bowls back to back. But when something is built on personal pride, on a need for personal glory, it's doomed to fall. And they did. Their egos were too big to coexist 
any longer, and Jimmy leaves, crushing the Cowboys' hopes of, of being a true dynasty and, and crushing the hopes of a 13-year-old version of me still crying over the newspaper articles. <laughs> but, but they'll be back, right? Right? Maybe, maybe next year. On to better things. Let's go to the Bible. Okay, so Philippians chapter 2. Paul, he's giving us an image of what it means to be a follower of Christ. I want to pick up there at verse 3. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So how does that sound? Do nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit, rather in humility. So just, just a quick little backdrop into this world that we're jumping into, the Philippian world. So if you're familiar with Alexander the Great, his dad, Philip of Macedon, that was the guy that conquered this area. And he named it after himself. So this area, it's got a lot of Greek tradition in it. And at this time, it's also a Roman colony. So there's a lot of Roman influence as well. But there's not a drop of Hebrew tradition there. Here's why that's important. We read through the Old Testament time and time again about, about the dangers of pride and the importance of humility. That's a Hebrew concept. It's completely foreign to these people. And so Paul is telling them, he's saying, hey, there's something about your world that you need to unlearn. The model that you've been given, the model of Caesar, they tell you that, that things like pride and ambition and control, like these things are virtuous, but they're not. They're short-lived. It's the short game. And it's going to fade as quickly as it comes. The model of Jesus is the model of humility. This is the long game. It's the model of service. But remember what we said about pride coming before the fall. The flip side of that rule is this in your notes number two. Humility comes before honor. And this is an important lesson for the Philippian church to really start to understand and wrestle with. But I think it's something that we continue to struggle and wrestle with, this idea, because uh, our, our culture doesn't typically connect humility with honor. More often than not, it's, it's pride that's connected with honor. When you think about who are the people that we follow, who are the people that we pay attention to? As I was preparing for this this week, I did a quick little search about who the trending celebrities were. Any guesses on who was number one? <laughs> you were right. <laughs> Kim Kardashian. Now, to be fair, I don't, I don't know her. Like, in real life, she could be a great person. She could even be a really humble person in real life. She could. But the character that she portrays is not. And that's who we celebrate. That's who we follow. You see, whether we admit it or not, the people that we follow, we do that because they've achieved something that we want. They've become something that we want to become. And these, these pictures, these shapes, or these images that we have in our minds, the people that we're becoming, they, they influence what we do. This, this idea that this past summer that we worked with all summer long was that our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And so these images, these shapes that we have in our minds of what it means to be an ideal human, the influence of things that we do every day, even when we don't know it. So about a month or so ago, I, I did this little experiment on my wife, and she loves it when I experiment on her. <laughs> no, she doesn't. But I mean, 
look, we're in a pandemic. We've got to do something to entertain ourselves, right? So I, I get up one morning, and I got this wild idea. I picked this random song. It was A Whole New World from Disney's Aladdin. <clears throat> so I get up, and I'm in the, in the living room. My wife's in the kitchen. So we're in earshot of each other, uh, but not right next to each other. And just, just real subtly, real softly, I hum. Da -da -da -da. That's it. That's, that's all I hum. Not loud enough that she readily notices what I'm doing, but just audible enough that it works its way over to her. And then two hours later, I do it again. Da -da -da -da. Once again, not, not too loud that she knows, but it's, it's there. And then a couple hours later, I do it again. Da -da -da -da. That's it. That evening, I walk into the kitchen, and what is my wife doing? She is singing, a whole new world. <laughs> and after she sings it, she looks at me, she's like, I have no idea why I'm singing. Then I lose it. I'm like, I know exactly why you're doing it, because I've been humming it all day long. <laughs> you fell right into my trap. You see, the, whether we're conscious of it or not, the things that we consume, the things that go within us have a way of informing how we respond. Now, some of you know, I've, I've been playing guitar since I was a, a kid, but by nature, I was a country guitar player. So I go to college to study classical guitar. It's, it's a different animal, completely different. Uh, and my guitar professor, he was really good. So he becomes the picture in my mind of who I need to become. So what do I do? I start imitating his disciplines. I start doing the things that he did. He practiced five hours a day. So what do I do? I start practicing five hours a day. He had a very specific finger-style technique. I imitated that same technique. He had a very unique way of shaping the nails on his right hand to be able to play the way that he did. If you ever come talk to me, you'll notice. I've got a very unique fingernail shape on my right hand, and I don't on my left. Where do you think I got it? When he wasn't playing classical guitar, he was listening to classical guitar. Guess what I did? Here's the point. We become the shapes or the pictures or the images that we have in our minds of what it means to be an ideal human. And for the Philippian church, the picture, the shape, was of the ideal Roman warrior or Caesar, to be strong, to be in control, to be proud. This was the ideal Roman citizen. And in the middle of this, Paul interrupts them, and he points them back to Hebrew tradition. You don't need to go there now. We'll put them up on the, on the screen. In Proverbs 16, verse 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And then two chapters later, in 18, verse 12, it says, Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. And there's countless other parts of our, of our Hebrew tradition that talk about the dangers of pride. And so Paul is teaching the Philippians, and he's teaching us about the importance of humility and the, and the destructive nature of pride. And he does it by providing us with a new image, a new model to imitate. And he does it there in Philippians 2. I want to pick up where we left off in verse 5. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, but taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
So Jesus, he's the picture, he's the model of what it means to be an ideal human. And at the core of who Jesus is, he's humble. So what is humility? Here's a way to think about it. In your notes, number three, humility equals confidence plus compassion. You see, this is the secret to Jesus' humility. He was confident in who he was. You see, Jesus, he's, he's born into a number of expectations given to him by the world. He's, he's born into a Roman-ruled world. So the same context that we're reading about in the Philippian church, that's around with, with uh, Jesus as well. He's born into a Jewish family. That brought with it a number of expectations. He's born into a carpenter family, an artisan trade. That brought with it a number of expectations. The script for Jesus' life had been just about completely written by the world and handed to him at birth. We all experience this. These expectations that are given to us by the world or by our families. It's like when you're born, you're handed the script for your life and you're walking onto the stage in the final act of the play and you're asked to read the script. But what does Jesus do? He quickly throws the script away. He takes the shapes, the images, the, the pictures that were handed to him, throws them away too. And before he ever allows the world to speak to him, he has two important conversations first. He talks to God. He listens to God. He prays. Some of you will remember that was step two. And then he spends time in the Word, step three. And he allows those sources to provide for him the shape of who he is to become. Jesus knows who he is through the eyes of God, and he knows who he's becoming. The person who knows who they are and who they are becoming is the person who doesn't have to boast about it. In your notes, letter A, humility doesn't advertise. Why would a person advertise all of their accomplishments or their good deeds or their rewards or their accolades? Why do they do this? Well, they do it because they need you to know about it. Because if you know about it, then maybe you'll start to believe in their greatness. And if you believe in their greatness, then maybe, just maybe, they'll start to believe it themselves. You see, here's the lie of arrogance, of pride. Letter B, pride is the mask of insecurity. This is why the statement that we begin with every weekend is so important. I'm a sinner saved by grace. The proud, the arrogant, and the insecure, they will struggle to make this claim. But the, the confident, the humble, they know exactly who they are and exactly who God is. And Paul is saying, hey, don't imitate the world. Imitate Jesus. Be confident in who you are. Admit your weakness. Boast about your weakness. You see, it's not just a statement of humility. It's a statement of faith. It doubles down on that promise that we read from God in, in 2 Corinthians. Verse 12, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power made perfect in your weakness. So I want to encourage you every day, begin your day with this statement, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And then as you spend those 15 minutes with God in the morning and you, re you repeat that promise, 
You submit your weaknesses to God from the previous day, and you say, God, your grace is sufficient. Help me with my weakness today. As you do this, as you lean in to your humility and the constant need of God's grace, God starts to change those shapes that you have in your mind of who you're becoming. You begin to resist the shapes that others try to force onto you, and as you do this, the world around you gets better because of your humility. Every week, we've had a different step. Today's step, step number eight, is this. I will grow in humility through acts of service that bless others without taking any credit. I want you to wrestle with that question, and as you do that, I want you to flip back to Psalm 23. It's a well-known psalm, but it's also kind of pegged as the funeral psalm because that tends to be the only time people engage with it. But, you know, it's, it's got a lot of traction for everyday life. It's a good blue-collar sort of a psalm. But there at the, at the, at the end of the psalm, at verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me, follow after me all the days of my life. When we read this, we get this picture in our minds about the goodness and the mercy of God chasing after us. And I think that's a wonderful picture. I want you to hold on to that. But I want you to think about it in another way as well. I want you to think about it like this. What does your world look like in your rear view? What does it look like when you leave a room? What are the things that follow you after you leave a room? What are the things that you've left behind in that room, in that conversation? in that relationship? Did you leave goodness and mercy? Did goodness and mercy really follow after you in that moment? Did the people that experienced you, did they experience the goodness and the mercy of God because of their encounter with you? What is it that follows you when you leave a room? question I want you to wrestle with this week is this. What do people experience when they experience me. As you wrestle with that, be, be honest. Be honest with yourselves. The only way we grow as humans, as followers of Christ, is if we could be honest. And as you, as you wrestle with that question, ask another, and that's this. How do I view people? Really, how do I view others? Do I view them simply as an audience to hear me talk about myself? Or do I ask them questions about their lives? Are you the person who looks to one-up the other person in the conversation? Or can you genuinely show interest in their lives and their story? Show, show, uh, show a smile whenever they're celebrating something. Or show empathy whenever they're struggling with something. Can you do that without having to weigh in with your own story? Can you do it? When you're having a conversation with somebody, whether at work with a coworker at home, with a, a family member, even maybe before or after church, and you're visiting with somebody, when you, when you talk to them and you ask them questions and you genuinely show interest in their story and you listen to them, guess what? They know it. They know you're listening. They know you care. And when you walk away from that conversation, they experience the goodness and the mercy of God just because you listened and you didn't try to weigh in with your story. Like, if you're, if you're the person that does this, when somebody tells a story, if your response is, oh, man, that's nothing. Let me tell you about this. Don't do that. 
don't be that guy. Just listen and respond on their terms. If they ask you, they say, hey, have you ever experienced anything like this? Yeah, sure, then tell them your story. But when you do this, when you ask questions and you stay in their narrative, you stay in their story and you listen to them, guess what? Their day gets better because they know somebody cares about them. They know that somebody heard them today, that somebody sees them. That's one of the best ways that you can serve people. And make no mistake, serving follows humility every time. In your notes, number four, serving is the fruit that the tree of humility bears. This is the shape that we're all moving towards as we grow closer to Jesus. The shape of someone who always serves and doesn't take the credit. Something to consider. When was the last time you served somebody and chose to stay anonymous? If you can't remember, it's probably been too long. So when I was in college, I was broke. I was a broke college student. I mean, being broke and being in college, that, that just kind of went together like peanut butter and jelly. I, that was my life. I, I didn't have any money. And I had one particular season that was, it was really tricky. I had uh, my book bag stolen out of my truck. I had all of my college textbooks in it, and that was, that was a lot of money. Shortly after that, my truck breaks down on the highway. Like, I, I had no money going into this. Now, after those uh, incidences, I just, I was in a bind. I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do. Now, at the time, I was working at a, at a gun range as a trapper. And so I made an hourly wage, but we would get tips from time to time from customers. The day after my truck broke down, I received an anonymous tip from somebody that completely covered the cost of the repair to my truck. This person knew my situation. They empathized with my challenges. And they stepped in, and they served me graciously. And they did it without taking any credit. Do you know how humble you have to be to do something like that. It takes a lot of confidence and compassion. This kind soul, this anonymous person, was someone who was moving towards the shape of Jesus. They were imitating Jesus. You see, this is what Paul is working towards with the Philippian church. All they know is Rome. The idea of power was Caesar, the shape of a man who conquered and destroyed the shape of a man who could wield an army to go do his bidding, who was politically savvy enough to rise to the top. Like this, this was the ideal Roman citizen, the model to imitate. And Paul says, no, that ain't it. The ideal shape, the model for us to imitate could be summed up in one image. The image of our Lord Jesus, just just moments before he'd be arrested and sent away. In the very moment of being betrayed, that same Jesus in that same moment grabs a towel and he kneels and he starts washing the feet of his disciples. Have you ever said... You know, life's, life's too hectic right now to help anybody else out. It's too crazy. I need to, I need to take care of myself. 
know, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic. There's a lot of unknown, a lot of uncertainty. I really need to hunker down and just take care of myself. If there ever was a moment for those statements to be made, it was this moment for Jesus. He's about to die. The people he's serving, they didn't deserve it. But he does it anyway. Why? Because that's just who he was. Serving for Jesus was as natural as breathing. It was an instinct. During this crazy year, if you've ever, ever uttered the phrase, God, where are you? Where are you in all this mess? I would encourage you, go to the margins, go to the people that are forgotten, grab a towel, and start serving. And when you do it, look into the eyes of the people that you serve. And in that moment, you just might find what you're looking for. So recently, I led a class online that, that did a dive into Revelation. And I, I know people tend to swerve away from Revelation. Uh, but I think it's a helpful book. I, I enjoy it. Every time I go to Revelation, I, I, I get something new, something that I hadn't considered before. And, and it happened again. And so this is what I got this time. So if you're not familiar with Revelation... John, he's, he's, he's on the island of Patmos, and, and he gets this vision from Jesus, this revelation. And Jesus comes down, in the first three chapters, he kind of lays out how, you know, the, the world is run amok. It's, it's upside down. It's in utter chaos, and nobody seems to know. But then you get into chapter 4, and the vision continues at 4 and 5, but this time, Jesus takes John up into the heavenly realms, and the vision continues there. And in that vision, everybody in heaven, they're all, in chapter 4, they're all worshiping God. But here's what I find interesting. Why? Why are they worshiping God? In verse 11, for you created all things. And then in chapter 5, same scene, but this time they're all worshiping Jesus. But once again, what I find interesting is why? Why are they worshiping Jesus? Verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain. You see, I think that's really interesting. Here's why. God is being worshipped because he creates life. Jesus is being worshipped because he sacrificed himself for life. What did we say about the Roman model, the model of Caesar? The model of someone who can destroy who can take away life, the model of someone who can make others sacrifice for himself. But Revelation says, and Paul says, and Peter, and anybody else who's ever had a transforming encounter with the risen Christ will say, no, that ain't the model. The model worth imitating is that the one who gives life, the one who sustains life, the one who sacrifices for life. This is the model. Grow this way. Grow in humility. Grow in service. Build people up. Don't bring them down. Breathe life into people. Don't destroy them. So I'll ask, who is it that you're serving? 
Who in your circle is benefiting from you? How can you serve someone and not take the credit? Every morning, I mentioned to you, you begin your day with this statement, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And after you, after you spend that 15 minutes, just as a parting thought to that time, you, you pray to God, God, show me somebody that I can serve today without taking any credit. And then as you lay your head on the pillow at night, you ask yourself a question, is the world any better today because of how God used me? Did I make anybody's day better today? Did your goodness and mercy, God, did they really follow after me today? See, the world transforms every day with every act of kindness. And just so we're clear, there's no such thing as a random act of kindness. It doesn't exist. Because you see, God, God's not random. God is intentional. God has purpose. And God is kind. When we think we're performing a random act of kindness, what we're really doing is we're momentarily following in obedience the will that God has placed before us. Like we, we think it's random. But God, God says, hey, hey, you noticed. You saw what I saw. You saw the need, and you, and you felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit, and you acted on it. You did something about it. There's nothing random about that. Good job. Well done. I have a number of places that I find myself going to a lot in the Bible, the, my comfort passages. One of my comfort passages, it comes in Micah chapter 6. And in it, the people, they're, they're, they're crying out to God. They're saying, God, what is it that you want from us? Shall we offer our animals to you? Shall we give you our money? Shall we give you a 1,000 rams, 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall we give you our children? God, what is it that you want from us? And the prophet responds, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require? But to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. <laughs> there was a time when humanity walked humbly with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And it was good. And then God said, hey, let there be water in one place and then in dry ground in another. And it was good. And then God said, let, let the land produce life and vegetation. And it was good. And then God said, let, let there be animals on the ground and birds in the sky and, and fish in the sea. And it was good. And then God said, let there be male and female and it was very good can you picture it can you see it all of humanity in harmony with the heavens
heavens. All of creation in rhythm with each other, walking humbly with God every day. But the demon inside spoke and said, hey, this, this whole walking humbly thing, think about yourself. You got enough problems on your own. Don't, don't worry about anybody else. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Pride steps in. And it wasn't so good. Cain and Abel. Pride rears its ugly head again, this time in the form of jealousy. Cain murders Abel. More chaos. Tower of Babel, more pride. The people, they, they wanted to become like gods. More destruction. More chaos. And then wars start to break out. Kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation, family against family. With every step, away from humility, a step towards pride, more destruction, more carnage, more chaos. And then new forms of hatred begin, hatred for entire groups of people. Wars waste just because of a different view. This idea of humility, kind of a forgotten idea, harmony with God, walking humbly with God, just a forgotten concept. And with every step away from humility, a step towards pride, more hatred, all in the name of pride, of selfish pride, of taking care of the self. More bloodshed. And as the, as the tears and the prayers of the, of, of the people just praying out to God, God, how long, how long must we endure this brokenness? As those prayers, they reach the heavens, the psalmist cries out, be still. Be still and know that God is God. Don't you know, he makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that God is God. And we are not. He will be exalted, not us. He is our fortress. He is our stronghold. God's answer to the destruction, to the pride of humanity, a light shining through the darkness, a baby born in Bethlehem, born in humble beginnings, born to serve, born to love, no matter what. A man who would serve the least of these, a man who would die for his betrayer. A man so confident in who he was that he could walk humbly with his God every day. This is our model. This is who we imitate. Father God, we thank you that you're a God of second chances, of third chances, of fourth chances, 
that your grace is endless. And Father, we cry out to you to not abuse your grace, but to be transformed by your grace so that others may encounter your grace. Father, we thank you that in the midst of our selfish pride, you don't give up on us. You continue to serve us. So Father, give us the strength to follow after you, to seek the shape that you have placed before us, to grow in that way. And Father, in the, in the chaos of our world, we praise you because we know even when we don't see it, Father, you are working. Even when we don't, we don't feel it, God, you never stop working because that is who you are. A God of new beginnings, of new life, of new creation. So Father, give us the strength and the desire every day to step into that new creation with you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day. Have a great week. Go serve somebody.